some questions. And we have Hasha Priya Prabhu here this evening. He'll speak tomorrow. <laughs> There's some questions? In the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's the story of the Avadhut. Mm-hmm. And what message are we supposed to get from that? And what kind of realization does he have? And uh, is it Brahman realization or Paramatma realization or what? Well, just to... In summary, I don't know much about it. But in summary, it reminds me of Guru Maharaj uh, saying, you know, for one whose eyes are awakened, they will find traces of divinity anywhere and everywhere. So what's being shown there runs parallel to things that are shown also in the Bhagavad Gita. Raso ham apsukhonteya Prabhasmi Shasi Shureo Pranava Sarvaveda Ishu Shabdake Purushamnashu. How how to see Krishna in everything and within everything. In and within everything. And without everything. So that's why Guru Maharaj, he summarizes it in the saying, for one who's I is awakened, he will find traces of divinity everywhere and in everything, in every situation. That is the point. There's, how can we think there's anything other than Krishna? Right? At the basis. So the Bhagavatam, the book of Krishna, the Krishna book, begins <clears throat> early on saying Vadanti Tat Tatvas Yadyanam Advayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shavyate Advaya Gyan Yasmin Vigyate Sarvam Eva Vigyatam Bhavati. There's only one thing to know. I've told Einstein had a mistress after he moved to New Jersey and was uh, teaching at Princeton. And she suggested to him, she was a simple-hearted lady, and she said, you should keep a notebook for all of your ideas. And he said, I don't need a notebook. I only have one idea. He said, and this one idea, it's like the theory of everything. I'm I'm trying to find out this one thing by knowing which, Everything becomes known. I'm preoccupied with, I don't have many different ideas. Even if it appears that way, it's just one thing. I'm trying to know this one thing by knowing which everything is known. That's Shraddha Shabde Vishvasakohe Sudrida Nishchoy Krishna Bhakti Koyle Sarva Karma Kritahoy. We shouldn't think what the Avadud is doing in the Bhagavad that's different than what we're doing. On one level, say, how can you say that? It's so very, very... On another level, not. It's a principle. Just as when Guru Maharaj, years ago, and some discussion was there about, like, ISKCON and 
him and, Chait- and what he represents. Chaitanya Saraswamat, Gaudiamat, etc. And at one point, Guru Maharaj quoted Raghunath Das Goswami and his famous sloka, Nama Shrestam Manumapi Satriputra Matra Swarupam Rupam Tasya Graja Madhupurim Matrim Gostavatim Radha Kundam Giribaramaho Radhika Madhavasam Prapto Jasya Pratita Kripaya Sri Gurun Tanmatosmi. Here, Das Goswami is cataloging what I've got at the lotus feet of Guru. Srila Govindamara, Srila Gurudev pointed out, generally Vaishnavas, they're not speaking like that. They're saying they've not got. They're saying they're empty, they're hungry, they're hankering, they're, they've not got. That points to necessity, actually, according to Guru Maharaj. That it's not something that should be depressing, discouraging, but rather it points to a particular necessity. That's why candid assessment of one's spiritual position or lack of, that's what's necessary to make progress. Sambandhagyan, we need to identify where we are. Just like on the GPS, you have to uh, uh, put in a starting point and a goal, right? These two things have to be there. Then it can show you'll go this way and that way. It will show you a path, but you need to know those things. Otherwise, if you say, oh, the goal is this, but you don't clearly understand what is your present position, you're in denial about what is your present position. You're not willing to deal with your present position then how can you chalk out a path toward the goal? Right. So, uh, oh, so Guru Maharaj, in a very, after quoting Raghunath Das Goswami in this famous sloka, Nama Shrestam, oh, and as Guru said, Vaishnava said, I don't have. He said, but here, because he's talking about Sri Guru, He's saying, prapto jasya pratita kripaya sri gurun tanda. This is what your gift is, what I got from you. It can't be denied. Nama shrestam, the best of the name, the holy name of Krishna. Matura, it goes on mentioning so many things. Radhika madhavasam, an aspiration for the service of the lotus feet. Radha madhava, radha dasyam. Otherwise indicated. Same thing in the Chaitanya Saraswat Mat Pranam. Sri Guru Gauranga Kritimati Guru Gauranga Radha Jitasha Rupa Nuga Sri Kritimati Guru Gauranga Radha Jitasha. So Guru Maharaj said to the is Raghunath Das Goswami a member of ISKCON? Because <laughs> they're saying, is this person? And he said, so Raghunath Das Goswami, who's the Prayojan Tattva Acharya, and he says these things in his sloka, is he a member of ISKCON? <laughs> so we can also say, is Prabhupada a member of the Chaitanya Saraswamat? He will be excluded? 
So he's saying, Das Goswami. So if we read of the Avadut and the Bhagavatam, we're thinking like, oh, this stuff is really far out. You know, it's very different. That won't be Guru Maharaj's interpretation. Right? That's a, uh, he'll, he'll mention that on a general level because Avadut is being named, an unconventional approach and all that. But Guru Maharaj's interpretation is thematic. He has an ontological method. He will say, the Bhagavatam is about rasa. This has to be grasped. Whether we're reading the fifth canto, the first canto, the Avadut, the Avanti Brahman, you know, Banasura, uh, Bomasura. Guru Maharaj will say, the Bhagavatam is about rasa. What is this book's subject? In the beginning of the golden volcano of divine love, and the introduction there, and says, he says, Srimad Bhagavatam takes us from the domain of, he might, he, I think he says ontology, from, you know, ontology, philosophy, to the domain of rasa. That we, ha- we cannot lose sight of that. That is what this book is about. Shamalila avalambam. Shamalila. Interesting choice of words. Uh, Gurudev once in front of the deities in uh, Navadeep. Gandharva Govinda Sundar, Guru Govinda. And he was, looked at the eternity and he said, Heavy Madura Rasa. <laughs> and I said, I mean, I know what to say. That's <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> but he said, also, he said, Black is the color of Madura Rasa. And that I, I thought, that's very mysterious. Black, what does he mean? And then I thought of Guru Maharaj's Soka, Shamalila, Shamalila Avalambam. What does Guru Maharaj say in this Soka? Yadamiyam Mahima Sri Bhagavatam Katayam Pratipatam Anubhutam Yapya Labdavideya Tad Akila Rasamurti Shamalila Avalambam. Madhura Rasadi Sri Radha Parapadmam Prapadye. So he's saying, although ostensibly her name is not mentioned in the book, other than the Aradita reference, in every sloka, every step of the way, Pratipadam, uh, is meant to take us in the direction of the service of her holy lotus feet. So we can say, well, that's a very deep level of interpretation. To understand the infinite will require very deep levels of interpretation. So then I will say, in, uh, uh, as I told you, I'm not intimately acquainted with, acquainted with that section. I've read through it. Well, Guru Maharaj has said a few things about it. But I will remember what the target is, where this is taking us. Those same, (coughs) the Brajagopis, what is their method of interpretation, of seeing? 
find in the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, when they're searching for Sri Krishna, after he has withdrawn himself, we know that he went to search for Sri Radha, Srimati Radharani, but that leaves them in the madness of Virahabhav, searching for Krishna. They're inquiring from the uh, Malika, the jasmine flowers, you, the, the different types of flowers there. They're inquiring from the trees. Right? From, they think that, as it's called, the trees are male, if we have to make this type of determination. They're male. The creepers are female. So when they inquire from the trees and say, they're silent. If someone looks at this objective, they say, of course the trees aren't saying anything. But that's not what they think. They think, conspiracy. They're apparent, they're thinking, oh, I see. You're, you're all males. It's a conspiracy to protect him. You're, you're not saying anything. <laughs> that's what they say to the trees. When they look at the deer and they see, what is it? Doe, a deer, a female deer. What's the male? Stag? Buck. Buck. So the does and the, and the gopi, what are they thinking? This shows how the, their divine madness of separation from Krishna is infusing their vision wonderfully. Everything is, is uh, an external uh, mirror representation of their hearts. So when they look at the deer, what do they say? Oh, we're not so fortunate. You, husband and wife, male and female, you're both devotees of Krishna. You can happily serve Krishna together. We envy your position. Our position is unfortunate because our husbands will not allow us uh, to go to Krishna. So we rather, we're appreciating your position. So many things they're saying. Right? So it's all about interpretation. I'd like to mention that Nietzsche uh, in one place says, you know, because he's so much influenced modern thought. But a lot of things he says are, I think, a double-edged sword. And we can pray, uh, you know, bowing our heads to Saraswati, take what he says in another direction. One of the things he says is, there are no facts, there are only interpretations. That means, in our context, what is seen objectively, that's what he told, there's what, 24 gurus, or 26, 24, of the Abhidut. We're not thinking of them as guru normally. But his awakening is such that he's seeing guru. And what is guru? One who uh, gives us shelter and the service in the lotus feet of Krishna, really. We can say, tad vigyanartam, vigyanartam sa guru meva bigachet samak pani srotriyam brahmanishtam. We can talk about understanding Brahman, but Brahman for devotee, is never, shall never be divorced from Krishna. There are other words that mean formless, like nirakar. 
But Brahman, more specifically, has been described, the Brahma is the effulgence of Krishna. And we hear from groomers, composed of innumerable jivas. So really, we won't think of it impersonal in the sense of not resting upon the personality of Godhead. There's a difference between how devotees conceive of Brahman and Paramatma than uh, non-devotees. In the Gita, Brahmanohi pratishtaham amritasavyayashyacha. Because it's resting on him personally. Ultimately, nothing is impersonal. Everything is of the nature of consciousness. Consciousness cannot be divorced from personality. So sometimes when Guru Maharaj would speak along these lines under the heading of the subjective evolution of consciousness, he said, Yajavar Maharaj would become flustered and say, so is this chair a person? And Guru Maharaj would say, yes. <laughs> and he goes, oh. <laughs> because what Guru Maharaj is saying it's very profound. He's saying, these Vedic rishis, why do they address the apparently inanimate as personal? Because ultimately, the whole objective world is nothing more than a cluster of subjective concepts floating in an ocean of consciousness. That this chair is hard, it has length, breadth, what? width, height, depth, weight, there, it's varnished, it's brown, it's reddish, it's, the, it's so many things. Those are all concepts. So a cluster of subjective concepts, that's something hard, soft, light, heavy, etc., make an object. It means it's floating in consciousness. The whole objective world is like that. So when they, the rishis, but they're very advanced. They're seeing everything... Uh, like x-ray vision when you go to the airport right they need to x-ray you because what can be seen by the visible eye is one thing they need to see what's beneath the surface right so they're scanning us same thing these rishis they're scanning shastra chakshu their eyes they they see in another way right so what did I just say before that? Oh, about the rishis. So when they address the ocean or the river, is the river, is it, is it impersonal? We don't think of rivers and oceans as persons, but Jamuna is a river. Liquid, Jala Brahma. What is it? Brahma Prema Gatri. When Mahaprabhu saw the Jamuna, uh, Ganga Jamuna, on his way to Vrindavan, and he became ecstatic. Right? So it's uh, ha- a way of seeing. That's what it is. So when he's seeing all of these different aspects of the apparent mundane world, his depths, his inner awakenment is such that he's 
it's favorable, it's guru, it's indicating uh, to him a spiritual direction to pursue. <clears throat> There's always a internal aspect, external aspect, absolute consideration, relative consideration. So, for example, we also hear that in the, uh, uh, there's a Vedic science of lakshan, uh, symptoms, sulakshan, it's favorable symptom indications, and then those which are inauspicious, right? It's mentioned by Prabhupada in one place in the Bhagavatam. Someone's, you're about to go on a trip, someone's carrying empty buckets, inauspicious. Full buckets of water, auspicious, good sign. And so those who know the sign, they're looking, seeing these different indications, whether it'll be favorable or not. But Gromers points out, that's, you know, in a, it's a mundane uh, type thing, right? As many Vedic prescriptions, they're, how to deal in the mundane world, how to navigate the mundane world, how to interpret the mundane world. But Srila Gromar said, but actually, this science exists on a higher level in Goloka Vrindavan and the Aprakrita Leela of Krishna and <clears throat> Srimati Radharani herself, she's looking for indications in the environment, and to her that means whether or not it'll be favorable for meeting with Krishna or not. That's where this is coming from originally. Janmad yasya yataha. Everything has its uh, position in the original. It's, it, it can be traced to the central conception of the absolute personality of Godhead, which means the aprakrita human-like pastimes of Krishna. Now, what was the question? Beyond the Avadut? Oh. Well, you can understand from what I'm saying. What I told. Always remember, the Bhagavatam is taking us to one place, ultimately. Radha Dasyam, the service of the lotus feet of Radharani, from the domain of ontology to the domain of rasa. If, if ever we think anything there is pointing us in another direction, we're misreading. It all ha this is the unified field theory. This is the ultimate theory of everything. It must all be interpreted this way. So, and to interpret it otherwise is either, as I say, to misread or to interpret it on a superficial level. Anything else? How can we fully... Look, we read of Prahlad Maharaj, and we'll say, oh, this is teaching us Shuddha Bhakti. Right? That's a rule. You know, Shiva. We'll say, oh, Jnana Misra Bhakti. But should, do we really think, ultimately, Shiva's a Jnana Misra Bhakta? No, there's 
Bog Siv, Tyag Siv, Bhakta Siv. But in a particular context, he's doing something. So this Avadut, he's playing a particular role, but what is his personal internal? Uh, I cannot say. I'd have to study that section. Oh, but on Prahlad. So Prahlad Maharaj, we're taking Shudha Bhakti. Comes after Vritrashura, Sixth Canto. So we're moving towards uh, pure devotion. Same thing in uh, Briyad Bhagavatamritam. Shiva sends Narada to Prahlad. Right? But within the Seventh Canto, there's, Prahlad's talking in that famous sloka, the Chana Kalo. Your, uh, your, how you appear, in, you're covered in the Kali Yuga. So we say, oh, this is indicative of the appearance of Mahaprabhu. So this Prahlad Maharaj, who's speaking this in the Bhagavatam, referring to the covered avatar of, you know, Chana avatar Mahaprabhu in the Kali Yuga, does he know something about Mahaprabhu? Or only you do? Right. We know something about Mahaprabhu, but Prahlad doesn't. You know, that's not possible. It's only possible like, like yoga maya and leelic play. So in this, and then the, as I say, in this pastime, here in this sloka, it's appearing there. So in this context, just like given a role, a particular role to play, he is playing that role, and he's lost in that role, absorbed in that role. But we'll be careful about thinking, are these the, uh, uh, the, the limitations of his realization? That's my point. So why should someone in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam be Brahman realized? What do we need another book like that for? After the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, we're in the 11th canto, it's going to close in the 12th. It has to be factoring in all of this. That's my contention. <clears throat> but what's the next? How can we understand and fully realize in a practical way Subjective evolution. <laughs> how really are we? How really are we objects of the subject or super subject? <laughs> well, I'll say one thing about that. <laughs> Is first, let's understand simply, because someone asked me this recently too, and. There, there should be simple ways. Sometimes we make it, it's very deep and, and uh, profound, the ramifications of understanding this. But sometimes, it, Guru Maharaj expresses it very simply. Right? I'm saying, the world is in the mind. Right? Berkeley saying, the world is in the mind. There it is. Very simple. Not the mind is in the world. The world is in the mind. Just like I said, this chair, hard, soft, heavy, light, etc. All concepts. It's being sustained by consciousness. So consciousness is the primordial element. So we have to understand, when we speak of subjective evolution of consciousness, when we talk about subjective evolution here, here we're taking it that the objective world is material, it's mundane. And the subject 
is atma, soul. But whenever we say atma, remember there's uh, two divisions, atma and paramatma. Consciousness, superconsciousness. Soul, super soul. Jivatma, paramatma. So here the atma is the subject and the objective world is the object. And it can conceive, that world can float in the consciousness. When we go out of the material world into the Vaikuntha world, then in that super subjective world, the jiva is object and Krishna is the subject. We're the eternal servants of Krishna. We're meant to please Krishna. Here, we think, uh, when, when we're taking ourselves to be subjects, that there are the objects of the senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, feeling. Right? We want to, that these things shall provide enjoyment to us. Right? So Guru Mars is cautioning us, cautioning us, when we begin to conceive of the spiritual world, not to think of it as something objective taking ourselves to be the subject, and the holy name shall be the object of your pleasure. Right? You'll chant the holy name, to, it should make you feel some happiness. You'll execute you know, sadhana bhakti, it should make you feel happy. Right? That's not his idea. That's taking all of, that all of the um, activities of Krishna consciousness are objective activities and you're the subject and they're meant for your uh, pleasure or consumption. Whereas to leaving this scenario of objective, mundane, soul as the subject, and entering the uh, spiritual domain, the super subjective world, then we understand there, we're the objects meant for the pleasure and satisfaction of Krishna. So then if someone says, well, how to realize this practically, I would say, and simple acts of devotion, which according to Sridhar Swami means ado arpita paschad kriyeta, beginning, middle, and end is for Krishna. That's devotion proper. Karma means bhakti, devotion mixed with an element of, you know, uh, fruit of intent, remuneration, not so. Same thing with Gyan, Gyanamisra Bhakti. So Rupa Goswami, uh, who defines what is pure devotion, says, Anyabhilashita Shunyam, Gyana Karmadhyanabritam, Anukuriyeno Krishnanushilanam, Bhakti Rutama. Not, no coding, no layer of karma or Gyan, and Krishnanushilana. What is uh, favorable or pleasing to Krishna. There's a famous verse in the Bhagavatam. Forget the Sanskrit right now, but and and you can read it. And it sounds very like uh, stilted or complicated. But Gurudev would say, "What is this verse telling us? Uh, give Krishna what he wants." He's saying it's telling us that devotion is giving Krishna what he wants. He made it that simple. Whereas otherwise, if you just read it, you could get lost trying to find out what it means. So, and sometimes you do. You say, if Krishna wants a samosa, 
give him a samosa. It's giving Krishna what he wants. How do we know what Krishna wants? I mentioned when in the early days, people were hearing, you know, give Krishna the, the best thing you've got, give that to Krishna. So one disciple of Prabhupada, wasn't it Kanchanbala? She had this favorite rock. So she gave that to Prabhupada. You know, you should give the best thing you have. She said, this is the best thing I have. I'm giving this to Prabhupada. So we can say, that's sweet and that's nice. But if we look in the scriptures, we'll get a better idea. These kind of flowers are acceptable in Vishnu uh, Aradhana. And, you know, the... Yeah, but I mean, like sweet, like jasmine, the Lilavati flower, Goloka Champa, these type of fragrant, these are for the puja of Vishnu or Krishna. Right? Mahadeva, you got bale fruit, the, like Tulsi leaves go to Vishnu, gets bale leaves. Mahakali gets the red flowers. Anyway, different things. So we'll get a better idea looking through the scriptures. Oh, although this is nice, oh, this is not uh, worship offerable to Vishnu or Krishna. So it says these are, I'll offer those things. But then if we want to know, even have a, a more refined idea, will come from the Vaishnava, the Shuddha Bhakta, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Shukta Shakadi Bhaji Nalita Kushmando. Janardhan Mars will be very happy to hear this. That Shukta is first. <laughs> but it's right there. Bhaktivinoda Shukta Shak Adi etc. Nalita Kushmanda means the pumpkin squat. You know, it starts naming the and saying. So we can understand Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Right? These are the things we should target. When we read in the Chaitanya Charitamritam, what does Sachi Mata uh, feed? The Nimai Pandits just become Sri Krishna Chaitanya. What does she feed him there? There's a list. Most of those things are unconceivable to us. Nonetheless, there's a list there. Begun Bhaja is one of them, by the way. But, so we look at the list, then we think. So, then we can understand this coming out of the heart of the Vaishnava, this will be most pleasing to Krishna. Right? manusyeshu kaschanme priyakritama. In the um, Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is saying, no one is more dear to me. But if we start of those who are in that group of no one is more dear to me, who is the most dear to Krishna ultimately? Means Srimati Radharani. According to Guru Maharaj, we will take Radharani's suggestion. How she is suggesting to serve Krishna? We want to target that. We say, well, how will we know? We don't know Radharani and what she wants through the Guru Parampara, coming, Radharani's delegation, what comes down to us. And then what do we hear? from her most recent, you know, uh, super-empowered delegate, Srila Saraswati Thakur, 
Pujala Raghapat Gaurava Bange Matala Sarujana Bishayarange. The path of Ragamarg we shall keep high above and one step below serve that plane. That was his, that's the foundation of the Gaudiya Math, to serve that plane by dealing with so many things in this world, actually. That's what Bishaya Runge means. Bishaya, it sounds like mundane things. We may have to come in connection with them in service to this higher plane. Elsewhere, Guru Maharaj called it bait. Sometimes we, they, like the fisherman, uses some bait to catch the fish. So sometimes there's some bait. Abhidut Maharaj knows this very well, how to get a full house. Like when we were in Kiev. There's some bait being used to bring the people to the festival ground. But once they come there, we can say directly Krishna consciousness. It's never influenced in 15 years anything that I've said. And, and uh, while we're on the subject, and for 15 years, every, advertis- every advertisement for every talk I've ever given, Amiya knows, Shamamabha, it says, Bhakti Siddhar Goswami will speak on the subjective evolution of consciousness. <laughs> 15 years, I have one poster. <laughs> you could print the same one, it doesn't matter. That's what I talk about. <laughs> Yeah, except one time in, in Moscow, so I'm there together, and I say, are there any questions? And some guest, he says, uh, could you say something about the uh, ancient Slavic culture of Russia and the Vedas? And I said, I'm not here to talk about that. I mean, I'm here to talk about Mahaprabhu. And then he held up a flyer that had been printed. And he said, it says on here that you were going to give a talk tonight about the, you know. <laughs> I said, oh. Well, I said, well, you know everything there is to know about the ancient Slavic culture and all that, so let me say something about the Vedic culture. <laughs> but subjective evolution, that's... See, Prabhupada had life comes from life. It's interesting, and I think in retrospect, he and Guru Maharaj must have had this dialogue going on for a long time. Because Prabhupada, Swami Maharaj, his life come from, comes from life is very much like the subjective evolution of consciousness. But, and that, was, that would just get him going. You know, devotees want to talk about all kinds of things. Prabhupada would be on a walk with his stop. Srip Damodarmars would be way in the back. He's a very humble Vaishnava. Prabhupada would stop and just go, scientist! <laughs> and then Srip Damodarmars would come to the front and they'd have this mock debate about you know, science and Krishna consciousness. And Prabhupada wanted so much that the Bhaktivedanta Institute would deal with these issues. So, but Guru Maharaj gave as a gift, it's an open secret if you can comprehend it, the subjective evolution of consciousness. And he says in his own words that consciousness is the basis of everything. He said, is an atom bomb.
to the atheists and their misconception. So it has as its basis consciousness. And you'll see thematically, Gromers employ this uh, type of interpretation and ontological method elsewhere. Even in his Gayatri explanation, it moves that way. When he's talking about Savitur, being the sun, the sun illum- you know, reveals everything and illumines everything. But Gromers will say, no, but without the soul, the seer, what is to be seen? So really, we shall take Savitur, which would, you would take superficially to mean the sun, to be Atma, the soul. But what's enabling the soul? Param Atma. So then there's the Param Atma world. But that's not the you know, Bhagawan world. So then Gurumars, now suddenly it's Bargo by Brishabhanu Jatma Bivavai Karadana Sripuram. The whole spiritual world is being illuminated by Srimati Radharani. Now, if we hear that, we'll be thinking, like, we have these lights here. We think of that as illumination, and it is, but it's, it's a crude example of illumination. In the objective world, we have the sun and, and these extensions of the lights and electricity and such things. But the spiritual world is comprised of consciousness. Sraddha mayoyam loka, seva mayoyam loka. How do you illuminate consciousness with service, the concept of service and servitor identity. She's revealing that. So he says, Bargo, Bargo means like Bargo by and Brishabhanu <coughs> Nandini. Bargo by Brishabhanu. Uh, what is it? Bargo by Brishabhanu Jatma Vivabai Karadana Sripuram. The spiritual world is like a, a city. Like I told the the mundane example of Paris means the city of light. Here Gurumar is saying, Sri Puram, the spiritual world, it's a world of light, but it's a world of service, and that service is revealed by Srimati Radharani. So she's illuminating the whole Seva world, the whole spiritual world. She's revealing what is service to Krishna by accepting her suggestion. Elsewhere, Gurumar says, the faith is the halo of Radharani. These are profound statements. There's one sentence, faith is the halo of Radharani. Think about that for a lifetime or more. Then that means what, what, whatever we're thinking it's so small, so tiny, even as the We think that we have an idea of what the infinite is. That's laughable. Right? Brahma, when he goes to Dwaraka, and that time where he's waiting to see Krishna, and the secretary comes out and says, Yes? You know, you know. 
uh, I'm here to see Krishna. Oh, doesn't you know? Um, Brahma is here to see Krishna. Oh, tell him to wait a few minutes anyway. Uh, which one? And he comes back out and says the Brahma, four-headed Brahma. You know, uh, he'll be available shortly. But by the which Brahma are you? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? You know, four Chatur Muk Brahma, father of the four Kumaras. Like, oh, okay. And then Krishna summons all the Brahmas. Eight-headed, 16-headed, 32, gigaheads, you know, all these Brahmas from all their different universes come and they like bow before Krishna. And we're told our Brahma, Chatur Muk Brahma, four-headed Brahma of this universe, he felt like an insect in the midst of so many giant elephants. Jananthu eva jananthu. Brahma will think like that. If we find ourselves not thinking like that, <laughs> then we need some correction. When Krishna shows Virata Rupa to Arjun and reveals, and Arjun's mind is blown. And in the end, Krishna says, Arjun, I, you know, with a negligent part of myself, I do this kind of thing. Let me know when you've had enough. I remember when I was a teenager and had started reading Bhagavad Gita. I used to, every, every time I'd finished the book, I'd go back to the beginning and starting, and I'd think, oh, what, which chapter did you like the best? And in the beginning, I liked the 11th chapter a lot because it, it was like hallucinogenitive, like uh, hallucinogenic, you know, his millions of forms. And, and I, that's the way I was thinking of it because of the time. I mean, partially because of the time. So, and I thought, oh, this is God. I was impressed, like, this is God. Look, Krishna is showing to Arjun. But the part that would bewilder me was not that. The part that would bewilder me would be towards the end of the chapter where Arjun, he's not entirely happy seeing all of this. It's frightening him. It's making him, he's, being, he's filled with anxiety. So, and he wants, he's losing his uh, sanity, as we can imagine. So, Krishna, then it says, Taneva Rupena Chatur Bujena. Then Krishna shows forearm form. And, that, and Arjuna starts to calm down a little bit. Then it says, what does he show? His Somya Rupam, his beautiful form. Reality of the beautiful, his two-arm form. And this is the part that confused me as a teenager. He would say, and he says to Arjun, now he's back in his two-arm form, he's saying, this is the ultimate form of God, of me, that all the great sages and saints and realized souls are ever eager to have a glimpse of. And I thought, I couldn't understand it at the time. Of course, if you read Prabhupada's purport, then you'll get the idea. But you understand what I'm saying here, that 
it appears one thing by its sheer magnitude of expression will have a tendency to think of that as being divine. Right? Because saying, what you conceive of as the infinite is the tiniest finite to me. So Guru Maharaj will say, what do we have? Our faith. That's all we have. And that we got under the guidance of Sadhu Shastra Guru Vaishnav. Right? The accumulation of Sukriti expresses itself as faith. Agyata Sukriti, Gyata Sukriti, Shraddha. And for it to develop, have to be Sadhu Sangha, under the guidance of genuine devotees. Then it starts to grow and develop. So Guru Maharaj say, take that faith you have, acknowledging that it's small. As I've told, when Salvador Dali was asked, you know, they said, and we know what an eccentric he was. He's an eccentric genius, surrealistic painter. And I said, uh, Dali, do you believe in God? And he said, yes, but I have no faith. And I thought about it. I thought, oh, it's, he was always honest in an odd way. So he's saying, here it is, just naked, unfiltered, unscripted truth. Yeah, I believe in God. Everyone does, actually. Even atheists, everybody believes in God. And he said, but I don't have any faith. Because faith can only develop in the association with those who have faith. Most people who are atheists, what they're railing against are some conceptions that are, even in our own estimation, less than worthy of divinity. That's mainly what they're upset about is a, a poor representation of the infinite, some finite brain's projection of what God is. And they can see, this is silly, it's foolish, it's not enchanting, it's not charming, like the sweetness, irresistible sweetness of Krishna conception. So, what was the question? Oh, the subjective evolution of consciousness. Just listen to all the things Guru Maharaj says and they'll make some impression on the heart. Saying it's like hypnotism. As the super subject compels us to see, we'll see that. Like the... uh, Disappearance of Mahaprabhu. Nothing is expressed anywhere about that, really. But different legends have passed down. He went for darshan to Jagannath and normally stands at Garuda Stamba. This particular day, he couldn't control him. And he stands at Garuda Stamba to try and maintain his composure. That's, it's far away, actually. But this day he couldn't resist and he runs towards the deity and people see him enter Jagannath. Others see that he goes to visit Gadadhar Pandit and Tota Gopinath and enters the Tota Gopinath deity. Right? And the Pujaris, if you go there at the special time, they will lift the cloth and show you the golden mark. 
<laughs> and that's early. You have to go early. They know what they're doing. <laughs> we were there with Abhidhut Mars and everybody a little while back. Um, then others saw him walk into the sea, just walk across the sea out of sight. Some saw him like the ascension, go into the sky. And then there's some other things, they say. And what does Guru Maharaj say? There's like a hypnotist, as he compels you to see, to some he's showing this way, to others another way, to others yet another way. When Krishna enters Kangsa's arena, right, for the wrestling match, what does it say? Malanam Ashinirninam Nadabara Strinam Smaro Murtiman Gopanam Swajanam Shatam Shitipujam Shastra Shapitro Shishu Mrityu Boja Pite Virada Vidusam Tatvam Param Yoginam Vrishnam Paradevate Vidito Rangam Gata Sagrada Mala the wrestlers Ashani, like, he appeared like lightning. Like, sometimes we look at lightning and it scares the hell out of you, right? Like, and it's just, your heart, like, drops. You know, like, thunder and lightning. Narabara, uh, some, they're looking, have we ever seen a more extraordinary, this is the perfection of what a, a man can be. Srinam smara murtiman. And the lady saw him. Smara sometimes means Cupid. Srinam smara murti. Is this not Cupid personified? Or if we factor in Brahma Sangita, Kandarpa Koti Kamaniya Vishesha Shobham, 10 million Cupids personified as one. They're seeing him like that. Mrityu Bojapate, Kongs is seeing death personified. Vasudeva and Devaki, Shishu, their son. Others are seeing the Shastra, the the person, you know, the Paritanaya Sarunam Binashaya, he's descended to you know, set things right, punish the uh, offenders of the devotees. Vrishninam Paradevateti, they're seeing their Paradevata, their worshipable Lord. Other, but uh, the yogis are saying the right, paramatma. So maybe ten different ways he's being seen. One Krishna being perceived differently. So it's a system of thought. There's not a, uh, a one-word answer to this a one-sentence answer, a catchphrase, or any such thing. It's a systematic way of viewing um, reality. Right? On, in the lower application, the dif- discerning the difference between matter and spirit, objective and subjective. 
and in the higher world between individual consciousness and superconsciousness. Super-subjective world as represented by, and the super-super-subjective world as represented the Aprakrita Leela of Krishna. So, it's a deep, all-encompassing, comprehensive, uh, divine method of analysis and interpretation uh, created by Srila Guru Maharaj. And he's saying, it parallels objective evolution. So we don't have to waste our time fighting against the wrong things. Just as with the, uh, the kapila of Samkhya, Samkhya's kapila, kapila Samkhya, it all, the atheistic version and the theistic version are only different by an element or so. And what's that? Atma. So once you add the element of Atma, then there's no objection to things evolving this way, that way. It's, we don't have to waste time on that, and, and, which is a useless argument. It's soul-driven. That's all that needs to be understood. Evolution is soul-driven. Subjective evolution means the soul is driving. Whatever you perceive to be evolution, it's soul-driven. That's also to be factored in. Is it a person? (laughs) Yes, everything is a person. That's right. So Jamun is a person. Oh, and that's back to that point. So Guru said, the Rishis, they're not foolish people. See, there was propaganda to try and make Rishis appear like primitives. Right, where they're talking to the sun and the moon. And that's not who the Rishis are. They're not primitive type people. Otherwise, they could not create the literature that they created and the philosophical system that they've created. So when they address the moon as a person, the sun, Rahu, it's because ultimately that's aspects of the objective world floating on consciousness. But they're given over to the conscious world. They're they're, uh, just like we're in an inverse. We're mainly conscious of the objective world. And we have, you know, momentary epiphanies of subjective understanding, right? Through literature, philosophy, different things. Whereas they're mainly in the subjective plane, and it's, it's a bit hard for us to uh, conceive that. The Bhagavatam gives one example. It says, whereas a drunk, the classic caricature of a drunk is... With, you know, if a comedian wants to portray it, they put their coat half off their shoulder. Like they don't know whether their clothes are on or off. Right. So sometimes when Shiva's drunk on Krishna consciousness, he's unaware whether he's naked or not. It's another thing. Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And that's what the Bhagavatam says. A liberated soul 
the way that drunk doesn't know if the, their clothes are on or off. They're unaware whether their body is on or off. That's different. Whether they're embodied or not. So, the Mahabharata must come down to the Madhyam position to function as a guru. Otherwise, from that perspective, everything's properly adjusted. Nothing needs to be adjusted. The Madhyam position is converting non-Krishna into Krishna. But if someone's in a plane where everything's Krishna and reminding them of Krishna, they thought Advaya Gyan, one thing to be understood, but in three aspects, Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan. But it's that one thing, it's Krishna, and not Krishna alone, Radha and Krishna. So how can we ever really think of anything as being impersonal? In the true sense, it cannot be. Everything is not only consciousness, but Krishna consciousness. That we should understand. Every, there's only Krishna consciousness. And illusion is to think of it in some other way, temporarily. That's what it is. But because we're addicted to that, we're thinking, well, this is taking a long time. <laughs> when is it going to be over? <laughs> the temporary world and the temporary illusion. Anything. Oh, now that I've heard about these things, why didn't it end? Because what's at the core of it all in our minds and hearts and soul is, and you know, we're still uh, tainted with exploiting tendency. Need to reconfigure. And that's that's what we're doing. Under the guidance of Sadhu Shastra Guru and Vaishnav, reconfiguring, restructuring our lives through simple acts of devotion. There's always some way that you can serve or render some service or some assistance. And just as the body is the biological expression of the soul's delusion constructed on exploiting tendencies. When we are reconfigured by the grace of Guru and Vaishnava with dedicating tendency, then this body dissolves and the swarup is manifested. Guru Maharaj gave the example of Chandan, take a stick of sandalwood and a grinding stone, pour a little rose water and grind that. So he said, through self-dissipation, the sandalwood stick, what is, it's transforming into its essence. It's a very beautiful example. So he's saying, self-dissipation, we're, what we've got, aparabdha karma, this body, that we generated 
engage the body, mind, senses, karmana, manusagira, nikalaspati, avastashu, jivan mukta suchite, then it'll be converted through self-dissipation into its essence. Nitya Krishna Das, the eternal servitor. So our good fortune is by the grace of our Guru Varga, is we're giving service opportunities on the basis of things that are practical that we can do. We're not being asked to do something impossible. Simple things. Simple acts of devotion. <clears throat> Hare Krishna. <clears throat>